Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. We are just a few days away from the quarterfinals of the Men's Champions League and I'm of course joined by Chris O'Reilly and Alex Kulesh and later on today's podcast we're going to have a very special guest who we've been waiting a really really long time for Emil Nielsen of HPC Nantes and he's going to talk to us about his rise to the ranks and then of course eyes on the quarterfinal match of the week against Vesprem. Boys how are you? Very good uh, and thank you for introducing us uh, without introducing yourself this very <laughs> selfless Brian Campion. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> good good no yeah I've, a few people who have listened to the podcast said I can't really pick Chris and uh, Alex apart but I always know you're talking because <laughs> I don't know what you're saying no. <laughs> oh, that's funny because I've heard uh, I, I've heard like mixtures accommodations of all three of us uh, people recognize uh, two of us and not the other one sometimes but uh, maybe we should have to shout her name uh, like a quiz buzzer at the start of every, <laughs> at the start of every time we're going to speak uh, but I, I think it's I think it's fine you know after what over a hundred episodes now uh, it's time to get uh time to get used to it alex how are you i'm good i'm thinking maybe we should do a youtube podcast to maybe put our faces out there uh even though i not a huge fan of youtube podcasts but you know maybe maybe it's the time maybe it's the time I, maybe i think it might get very obvious the editing we do to the podcast though when uh, all of a sudden we have all these jumps yeah, be, over and back between words. There'll be no more editing, that's for sure. It'll be like not, not stop. People realize it actually takes four hours of recording to get one hour of content each time. But uh, we're talking Champions League this time. And as you mentioned, Brian, we've got Emil Nielsen coming on the podcast later. HBC, not goalkeeper, Danish national team goalkeeper, big man about town. Other nicknames have been mentioned, and we'll get into that with him later on, as well as a bunch of other things. Really looking forward to chatting to Emil. But before that, and before we talk about Nantes against Vesprem in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, let's talk about the other three games in the Champions League. Uh, shall we start with the the big, big one or the one which is almost obvious and we're going to get it out of the way? I think let's get uh, let's get Brest Barca out of the way. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think of all, all three games that we're going to discuss right now, I think it's probably the most straightforward. Do you know what I mean? Brest probably have a good 40 minutes in them for one of the games at least. I mean, they can they can beat Kielsa, but they can also lose to Elverum. Been very up and down. So, but I, I don't see... It's very hard to imagine Scuba and Co tearing apart that uh, Barcelona defence. Uh, I, I, I find it very hard to envision. Can you see anything, Alex? I don't know. I think I, I think Meshkov Brest have been giant killers. You know, they're, they're big enough, but they have beaten Kielsa and PSG in the group stage. Their problem has been inconsistency. And we even saw that in the last 16 tie where... They actually had to come back against um, against Motor after a pretty bad loss, and I think judging that 
they will lose Barcelona overall in a tie. But I think they have the ability to squeeze one against Barcelona. So Meshkov will play play their best game of the season the, and potentially win by one goal. But then the next game, they're going to play a usual game of the season and then lose by like 50. <laughs> because if you, <laughs> uh. if you really, if you're lax against Barcelona, they'll rip through you. So one tight game, one absolute demolition and overall Barca through to the final yeah, four. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting this vision now of exactly that, like 27-26 at home in the first leg with a crowd in Brest. Uh, they go wild. The incredible light show bangs around the arena. And then the second leg is 41-26. And it's just like... <laughs> it's it's going to happen. <laughs> But it could also happen 41-26 and then 38-20 in the next game. You know, that could also happen. But what's not going to happen is Brest winning both legs. Mm. I'll die on that sword if that comes to that. Imagine. Uh, it's Raul Alonso's last couple of games based on what we're saying and them not going through to the final four. He's going to Germany next season, leaving uh, Brest. He's done a great job with them, though. Absolutely. He has turned them into a real team and that's what some of uh, these clubs so Meshkov Press is a type of club where there's a rich owner goes around Europe picks some stars out and what Raul Alonso has done is actually kind of build that team smartly with uh, kind of Belarusian players like Valapau making sure that they get into the team and you know Staskuba has just been incredible for them. Um, it's quite interesting. I, I wonder what happened there because Meshkov Press must be very happy with the way the season has gone. And I wonder if it's um, Alonso deciding that, you know, he doesn't want to live in a tiny Belarusian town uh, any longer. Um, or it's maybe an indication that, you know, the owner, you know, the, the the scary owner who supplied them all the money and has built this team in the middle of nowhere in Belarus, maybe taking a step back and, you know, trying to envision some something else. We don't know if there's a what, uh, who will replace him, but um, I would keep an eye mm. on that. I'm just trying to think in my head here, like, if Brest are going to have that one big game against Barcelona, is there one player that you think from the, that you've seen from Brest all season long if it would be someone like Malaus, maybe, or maybe Marco Panic, or would it be someone like Scuba who would who will have that big game against Barca, or will be have to have the right style of play that will find a hole maybe in the the Barca defense? Who will be their torn in their side, in other words? For me, I think they have a few weapons, but it probably has to be the goalkeeper in a game like that. And Ivan Pesic, I think, is is the type of character with his style and also his his size as well that uh, he can become a lot bigger in the goal very quickly as well uh, and I think if he's in good form he can be really dangerous uh, as he's shown and a uh, really good goalkeeper and they need him to have a huge day like that um, and besides that yeah they have a few weapons in attack and I'm sure Alex will will choose his favorite there as uh, as the one to break through. I think um, basically I think Staskuba will have a good couple of legs he he has shown that he can be shut down um, but 
Barcelona play quite a an open defense, so that you know there's a lot of movement, and I I think it's the despite Barcelona having Thiago Petras and Fabras in the middle where they do control that defense very well. I think he can create space around that. I think that game will come down to if if they can get Panic, um, their second top scorer in the competition, if he can get going, if he can get shooting, they just I think he's the extra mark because you know that the wingers are gonna have a really good game. Saskuba will control the game. They have some good line players, but you just you need that shooter to show up. All right, shall we move on then to the probably the next hardest game to pick? Would they be Alborg versus SG? So we'll let Alex wax lyrical about Alborg for a little bit. And while they while they beat SG, uh, Alborg, Alborg, I'm already envisioning the 2022 season, so I I don't want to <laughs> you know get away. And they're coming up against a Flensburg team that just seem unbeatable um i think i mentioned that that they're just so difficult to win against they're so consistent their style of play you know the rock solid defense and amazing fast break just keeps them in any game and as much as i would like to see all continue this fairy tale story and all have and um, the players i think um, you know, we're envisaging a future team, but they do have some very quality players like Felix Klar was actually amazing in that second leg against Porto. He was he got the quint double, he was scoring, he was assist, he can control a game. You know, it's they have a good team, but Flensburg just aren't gonna lose twice. They're not going to lose. Once. <laughs> They're not going to lose. Once. Like this will be. This is actually the opposite. I think both games will be very close, but Flensburg will win two close games easily. The way that Flensburg seem to win close games easily. Do you think, in terms of style of handball, do you think Flensburg are just a better version all over the the court? They're just a, a, an upgraded the two point of Alberg. This is like a Danish derby, you know. These are like two Danish handball clubs, but one of them is like upgraded to the Bundesliga forty years ago or whatever. And I think that might actually be a bit of a uh, a negative for Flensburg is that all of these players know each other so well. It will have a bit of a derby feel to it. It won't be uh, an exotic European encounter, and I think that'll make it a bit more nitty gritty. But I mean, Flensburg's team at the moment. I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they might have might have three of the best informed players in the world right now in Jim Gottfriedson, Hampus Vanna, and Benjamin Burich in goal. Like they they really do have half a team of like the world's best players on form at the moment. And it would be a crying shame based on that for them not to go through. But I think it'll be damn close. There is a there is a chance that you can not lose both games and still get knocked out. If you have two draws and lose in the away goals rule, and, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I do think Flensburg will nick it, but I think it'll be really close. I mean, Alex didn't really wax lyrical about Alborg's chances there. Maybe you fancy a way through for them, Brian. I was thinking more about what exactly what you said about Hampus Vanne and uh, Jim Gofferson, that Hampus Vanne was awarded Swedish male handball player of the year. I think it must have been actually quite a hard decision between him and, and Jim with two of them in such good form. So it's uh, 
it's an incredible mix, but you have to also talk about the coaching as well. It's not just, you can't just have players that come along and all of a sudden they're in form. That's, that is the setup also that they have at, at Flensburg. And I think they've been kind of building on it for years now. Once they captured that Bundesliga, t- Bundesliga title for the first time there a few years back, I think that was just a big, a big turning point. Uh, for them and you could see that they just have played with so much confidence since then and I think there was the first year that you really feel like people are really okay apart from Kiel winning last the Christmas Final Four they felt from the start of the season people were talking oh there might be a German team that wins the, the Final Four this season so it's I don't know what to say about Alborg's chances to be honest See the danger here though is that we um, we're all agreeing on the results yeah, <laughs> and that that was our downfall in the last 16 because although I, I felt uh, there might have been a chance I didn't I didn't go for it so is anyone going to go for Alborg here or are we all just going to have egg in our face in two weeks time Flensburg haven't lost a game in 22 tries so the last 22 games they haven't lost a game Flensburg are putting together an incredible season. The reason why we're not talking about it as much is because I think Flensburg have had the most games cancelled due to COVID over this period. Not only in the Champions League, where I think uh, they had four games cancelled uh, in the Groom Sage. In the Bundesliga, they've gone through periods where basically they uh, they play like two games in a month. Um, and they're still really good and they're probably fresh because of it you know looking at the all the other teams Flensburg are pretty fresh so I think in this case uh, the gap is further than we think and if I'm gonna actually say something different to you guys I don't think it will be a, a close tie I think we're just gonna have to deal with that then uh, cl- I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this I I hope to fucking I hope <laughs> really going out there. <laughs> I hope the goodness that this next game will uh, show some division. Keel against PSG. Surely we can't agree on this. No, this is this is the hardest game to call. I I, I really do think so. I don't know where I don't even where to start with it to be honest because there's part of me that thinks. I think they've both had fairly mixed results over the whole the whole season, and they've they're both kind of hard to put your finger on where they are at certain points. We 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 all remember the famous tweet about uh, about Philip Yicha and where they were at that stage compared to then winning the Champions League then at Christmas, and then PSG clearly are missing someone like Nikola Karabatic playing. And while they do have Mikkel Hansen in that kind of more of a leader role, they do seem to be missing something. And then you have THV have the, the better keepers, perhaps. That kind of would swing me over that way. But then, I don't know, maybe it, maybe someone like Danny's Christopans is going to have the game of his life. He's been very quiet all season long in the Champions League. And he, someone like him could just all of a sudden come to life. It's it's very, I'm over and back about this one. So I can't... I can't I'll just I'll decide in a few minutes, but I'm going to let you talk and then I'll decide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm absolutely sick of talking about Kiel in these tight games because we talk about the same <laughs> things and then they just win. So I'm just not going to talk about Kiel. I'm going to talk about PSG here. And I'm going to bring my case forward as to why I think they may lose, but I, 
why they will win. <laughs> let, let me convince you, Brian. Oh, some verbal <laughs> gymnastics there. <laughs> so PSG are playing fantastically. Luke Steins has injected a new life into the team. And they're playing as a team again. The movement, the everything is just going really well. Except for one thing, and it's a really big thing, that Mikkel Hansen doesn't really like playing in a fast offense. He doesn't like getting the ball at speed from Luke Steins. So there's a bit of a contradiction because pretty much every other player around Luke Steins is playing really well, but the best player on the court for PSG hasn't really uh, excelled in in the role with Luke Steins beside him. And we saw that against Nantes, where actually Mikkel Hansen was again, he didn't play as much. And I think he only played about 30 minutes in a game. Um, Luke Steins played pretty much the whole game. And he went one from four from the court. And right now, I think Raul Gonzalez is kind of leaning towards, okay, it's better as a team that we all play together and Luke Stein makes the team really work and it's going to be great for us. And that's that works against the most of the teams in the French League that they're getting these wins, they're playing amazingly. But when it comes to the really, really tight games, you need someone like Mikkel Hansen to just take over. And if, if they can figure out how to split that time where you have parts of the game where it's Mikkel Hansen's pace, it's slow, it's kind of herky-jerky and then just lightning fast versus the super fast kind of rotating game that Luke Steins does. So if they can meld the, those two um, game plans into one overall game plan, they're not going to fully coexist, but you have periods where it's Mikkel Hansen's time you have periods where Luke Steins make every, makes everyone work. If they can do that, they will beat Kiel. And I think in a game like that, Mikkel Hansen won't just step back. I think he will take the lead when needed. So that's why I think PSG are going to go through to the final four. I rest my case. Does that now rely on Elohim Prandi stepping up as well to be able to fit into the Luke Steins game and not just fit in but also contribute as the the other left back if they're gonna if they're gonna split it up a little bit and and you know have the have the lineup where it's uh Mikkel Hansen at left back Nedim Remeli at center back and Christopans at right back that is the slow uh version so to speak and then you have Steins one of the right backs and then Prandi at left back that uh, Prandi really needs to to have a game then. Yeah, and I think he has, again, with Luke Steins, we've seen Chris Apans and mm. Prandi playing better because they excel in um, getting the ball in the right place. If their body is in the right position, they'll do really well. Um, well, actually, Remily, he, Remily is, is a bit of both, but I think that Remily Hansen won uh, works a little bit better at times where you just need that one-on-one brilliance and both of them 
you know, if you compare Luke Steins and uh, Prandi versus Mikkel Hansen and Remley in terms of just one-on-one class, there, there's no competition there. But I think Prandi is already doing it. And I think he can do it for a long enough period within uh, across the two legs. And I think we, we've spoken a lot about uh, Luke Steins and the impact he's made. And, and maybe people are wondering, like, uh, is he really that that good like has he really made that much of a difference but i think a sign of that is the psg have signed him permanently now right it was a loan deal originally from toulouse and kind of a desperate move but he's made such an impact on the team that now he's got a a permanent contract with them and uh and that doesn't happen just for for no reason that, that sh- says a lot about the the impact uh he's made Brian, I think when you were saying a few minutes ago you wanted to hear us speak, that was probably you wanted to hear why PSG might win. Has it changed your mind now, or do you still think it's going to be Kiel? I, I I totally agree with what Alex is saying there. That Luke Steins forces you to move faster with your feet, whereas Mikkel Hansen likes to move the ball faster with his hands and not really move his feet that that much. And when you've dosed, I mean, I think maybe maybe Kiel have a little bit more of a whole game going for the whole squad, and maybe that's what make the difference. I, I'd be I'd be kind of leaning. I, I think it's going to be. I think they're going to be two really close games. I'd be maybe leaning that it just could be coming down to someone like Landine and Sagerson having one game, great game each that might that might win it for them. It's going to tell a lot about this uh, this factor that we're, that that Alex has brought up as well about the. The Hansen uh, Steins conundrum, if it is, I mean, it's, it's like a blessing and a conundrum, and it's in the same sense when your your best player is kind of somewhat inhibited. But I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it, when you think about him coming from Denmark? You think he should be used to that growing up playing with those kind of fast uh, centre backs. But yeah, he kind of has dictated his own style onto the Danish national team as well. I I think he can adapt when he wants to. And I think if, if, if that's going to have to happen in the quarterfinal, I think Alex mentioned that as well. He's gonna like he's gonna need to step up whatever is necessary. Um, and you know he's coming up against Sander Sagerson. This is uh, this is huge for the two of them. You know the two pals. Um, in the future, we'll be looking back on events like this when we're arguing over who the best player in the world was uh, at the time and in the future. And I think that uh, that's going to be so a who, cracker. But who going for it though? So. Well, Alex, you're going for PSG. <laughs> I am. Brian, you're going for oh, uh, Kiel on penalties. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, um, I don't think it'd be that close. I I think Kiel as well. I'm going to keep believing them after we didn't believe in them until they let me down again. So don't rule out Kiel. Don't rule out Yikia. Don't rule out Sandra Sagerson. And with that, perfect timing. Emil Nielsen has joined the waiting room. So Lovely. I think it's time to uh, to bring in Emil Nielsen for our interview. Hey, Chris. Hey, Emil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good. Uh, a lot of traveling around these days for you, huh? So you, you just came back from Denmark and, and now straight off to Tremblay. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, these past months, they have been crazy. There's been so many games, and especially away games for us. So, uh, yeah, there has been a lot to to see. Despite that, uh, we're really grateful to to take some time. I know it's late as well, um, but th- thanks for taking some time to chat with us. What we want to do is is kind of 
look back over your your career chronologically as well because uh what really fascinates us about you is uh, and as a goalkeeper is that you know you're 24 but for a goalkeeper it's um it's still super young and and you've made all these breakthroughs throughout your career at your different clubs at a young age and, and i think that's really made a big impact on people so the first question is for being such a successful goalkeeper so young have you always been a goalkeeper in handball well uh, well yeah i have um, when I started playing handball, I was the new guy on the team, and we needed a goalkeeper. So um, I was the one they put in the goal. So um, was it love at first sight, or love at first touch, or was it something that you kind of grew to love? I think it was love at first sight because uh, <laughs> I never went out in the in the field. So uh, I stayed inside the the cage and uh, and try guarding it as uh, as good as I can. That's that's good. That's a refreshing uh, view on things. And the question is. Do you still think you're you can do better outfield than some of the outfield players? Because most goalkeepers <laughs> tend to think that. Well, it it, it depends what I'm, what my role is. Uh, there's no doubt I'm a better shooter than uh, most of the guys in the Nant. But um, you know, like the passing and the decision making, maybe that's not my style. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I say goal, most goalkeepers at some point have played out in the, in the, on the court. And actually, uh, about a month ago on the podcast, we had Sandra Toft, uh, the Danish women's goalkeeper. And, and she, she uh, was originally a court player until her mother told her, no, you have to stay in goal. So, uh, so you've had a different path. Yeah. So tell us then about your, your first steps into to senior handball, because we know you, uh, you're playing with Aarhus first and you, you had your first taste of the, uh, of senior handball at very young for a goalkeeper, but you you had a lot of success straight away. It seems. Yeah, well, you know, I started uh, started training with Aarhus when I was sixteen. I had my debut when I was I just turned seventeen. So yeah, it, it everything went very fast at that uh, at that uh, period of my life, and and I was very successful from the from the beginning, which was uh, well, I don't know. It was a, pre- a bit of a surprise for myself. Um, a young guy coming into the team, becoming uh, the first goalkeeper at 17 years old, um, becomes the best goalkeeper of the Danish league at 18, then gets sick uh, with uh, meningitis and uh, we're out for one year. You know, the beginning of my career was uh, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great time. I remember it. I remember it as a great time and um, and I do not re- regret anything. Those early games when you were breaking into the team or getting your first game as the the number one goalkeeper and stuff like that, do you remember them being nervous occasions or were they just, did it just come along so quickly that you didn't have time to think about it and you just kind of grabbed them? I remember my uh, my first game as a pro. That was in Aarhus, and that was uh, I was really nervous. It was uh, it was a very important game. Uh, and uh, to, you know we have playoffs in Denmark, and uh, if we lost, then uh, then we couldn't make it, and um, unfortunately we did. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember one episode where this was before we played seven against six, so this was when uh, they had to have a, a jersey on. I remember I have a I had a save, and one of my first action was was I thought, okay, they're playing without goalkeeper, I need to try and shoot. So I made the shot and I uh, I threw it out on the public and uh, was not even close to the goal and uh, people were of course laughing but uh, it was not a good moment for me. Oh no! So still confident as a shooter though. You can say that. You can say that. Yeah. You mentioned the meningitis there, and um, you know I think a lot of uh, obviously within Denmark people have been following your career would, would know about this 
period of time. But for our international audience, I think not a lot of people would have heard this or read about it because um, we only came across it as well through uh, Danish reports and uh, and Google Translate. And so uh, can you tell us a little bit about that time? Because, I mean, it seemed like, a, first of all, a devastating time and a really scary time because you had about, what, six months where you you couldn't even look at light and you were basically living in darkness. Well, well, you can you can compare it a lot. What is it? Concussions. It's it, it was a very hard time. Uh, it was eight months with uh, with no training and a lot of medicine and a lot of dark rooms and a lot of breaks from everything. You know, I remember in my rehab, I uh, I went down to the the fitness room. Then I, the first day I was there for one minute. Uh, went out, throwing up. Went home. Next day, two minutes and yeah, and so on. And then we progressed. A little by little and it became better but of course that was a, a very hard time and it, i was out for i think it was about around eight months and um well of course it, it was serious and i didn't know uh, how it would be and especially because when i came back i didn't have that many saves of course um which were not what i was used to i was um, i became the best goalkeeper of the danish league uh, the year i got sick and um so for me that was a very big thing personally i was i had just turned 18 and uh, then all of this just crashed and uh, i had to, to literally go back to bed for for 8 months so that was uh, that was very hard did it make you feel at all a little bit bitter uh, when you were sick that you're feeling you've lost all this progress or you've kind of it's unfair in some way or what kind of things were going through your mind at that at that point I don't know if it if I was bitter. I was just, you know, focused on coming back to the court again because it was it was it was a very hard time. I was very sick, uh, had headaches all the time, and um, so I, I didn't like have the time to feel bitter. Um, mm. I only had the time to feel better, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So yeah, it was it was a process that uh, that I've been through, and um, I'm happy it's over. And I think I came out on the other side as a stronger person. Did it change your perspective on the sport at all? Because, uh, I mean, at a young age as well, uh, it must have been a really hard thing to, to process and, and kind of put into relative terms. But when you came back then, did it change, uh, you know, your, your, I guess, just enjoyment of the sport, being able to come back to it? Uh, it puts things in, uh, in perspective, of course. Mm. Um, but... Um, in the beginning, I could not feel it. I was not like happy to be back because I I didn't have any saves. I um, I played really bad, and uh, for me that was actually uh, what bothered me the most uh, about everything. That was when I finally came back. I was not who I was before the sickness, and everyone can say, of course, of course, you wasn't. You've been out for one year, but but in my head, you know, I remember we were about to uh, to play semifinals when uh, when uh, when I got sick. And uh, I said, if we qualify for the, I said to the doctors at the hospital, if we qualify for, for the semifinals, I'm going to play no matter what. That's how it is. Thankfully, we didn't. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so that was like my mindset. I thought that when I come back, I will just be the same old Emil and I will have as many saves as I, has, as I had before. And, um, but that was, that was not uh, the real world. That was what was the hardest thing for me. But but despite that, you say you, you came back and you didn't have as many saves, but you still got a move to Skern uh, and a club that believed in you, obviously. Yeah. 
And that was, in my opinion, that was a big gamble by by Skjern because uh, I uh, wrote the contract while I was sick, so um, we didn't know how I would uh, how I would come come back. Then in the preseason, Skjern, I started uh, saving some balls and uh, have some uh, some good trainings and uh, started feeling feeling myself again. And that was like the turning point for me when I became happy about handball again and felt like this 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 can actually this can actually still be a good thing i'm not uh i'm not down in the hole anymore and uh so i'm very thankful for for Skian, uh, that they have helped me so much uh, so much and um and believed in me and trusted the process that season itself so you joined in 2017 right in the summer of 2017 and um that season you were you had your first exposure to the champions league Came through Group C and D, and uh, I was I was there for I was there for the playoff, commentating that game against uh, Zaporozhia, where your teammate Tibor uh, had uh, one hell of a game. But not very far after that, you uh, you had your moment in the spotlight, and uh, and that last sixteen game against Vesprem, which uh, I think is a fun thing to talk about, seeing as Vesprem are coming up again soon. But um, yeah, twenty-one-year-old Emil at the time, fourteen saves in that that incredible victory that I think not one single person would have uh, expected in the outside. But do you remember what it was like in the build-up for you and the rest of Skjern as you were looking forward to this game against Big Bad Vesprem? You know, first of all, Skjern is a very, very, very small city with only uh, I think there's five hundred, five thousand inhabitants. Um, so the whole city was uh, was excited and expecting this and uh and looking forward to the game and um so it was like the whole city was was affected by it and when you went down to the grocery store and uh bought milk people were commentating it and uh, coming over and wanted to talk about it so so that was actually very funny and um well on the team we uh <laughs> i don't know what we thought but um you know i think we uh, we knew we were a good team, but we also knew that West Prime was uh, one of the big uh, best teams in the world, and the budget was much higher on Scan uh, than Scan. So we we agreed with ourselves that we could uh, go out and uh, play free, and uh, see how how far it got us. And well, we we did very good uh, at home, and uh, not as good uh, in West Prime, but uh, but it was enough to uh, to qualify for the quarterfinal. You were there, Brian, weren't you, in Vesprem for that second leg? Yeah, I was there. I remember after the game, you went up into the stands and I was recording a video. And you'd swear that the whole town of Skiron was in the arena when there was only about 20 people who'd, who'd driven down for that. But it didn't matter. It was just like, it might as well be. And uh, I think it was some of the most unbelievable reactions I remember seeing from from players. I remember you just jumped immediately up into the stands. With, I think it was it friends or family that were there that day or who was there? Do you remember? Uh, not not for me. It was just uh, you know uh, the local supporters, uh, oh. and in such a small city, then uh, everyone knows everyone. So uh, yeah, you can call them friends. Yeah, but that must be one of the most amazing nights you've probably ever experienced, was it? What? I can't even describe it. Uh, that was crazy, uh, and it was so unexpected. So it was it was like we had so so many feelings. Uh, we were happy. We were grateful. We were in shock uh, literally so um i actually don't remember much uh, because it was so crazy uh, and uh but uh, but yeah it was it was amazing and uh, everyone was of course very happy 
after that there was the the quarterfinal against Nantes and uh, that was also that was at one point I remember the second leg was was even super close in the end but was that was those two games what started the conversation with Nantes and and, and going there this season after next not exactly but uh, of course this it had something to do with it I don't actually don't remember how uh, how I played myself but um, of course this was uh, the time when Nantes they uh, they saw me um, and uh, probably that was the time they they started talking about if if they should get me or if they should get someone else. Um, and they chose to uh, to to buy me my, buy me free from my contract. And uh, I'm uh, nothing about scam, but I'm grateful for that. Of course, uh, it was a big chance for me. And uh, and yeah, we are doing great. Going to Nantes um, is a big step, and I think for players in. You in Denmark a lot. Um, there is a decision that you have to make whether you think you are good enough to become the very best and go to the top clubs. Is that something that you always had in your head, or was it more of just something that came about? It has always been a goal for me to uh, to play in the top clubs and play on the national team, and and the biggest goal. Um, for me personally, in my club career, is uh, to win the Champions League. So, um, so yeah, I have always uh, thought that I would uh, come to some big club one day, and uh, I still believe I, I I will win the Champions League one day. But uh, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it can happen. And what has the, the time in Nantes then done for your development as a as a goalkeeper, or, or playing with the players you've played with uh, in Nantes? How is that? affected you as a player first of all i have uh, grown as a, as a human being and um come to a new country um kind of learned a new language not perfect but uh, <laughs> a little bit and um and as a goalkeeper of course um i've got so much more experience i've uh, played the the champions league more times than i did uh, before in my uh, i have always said that that you know if you want to be the best you have to train with the best and you have to play with the best and play against the best so um, so for me it was very natural to to go to Nantes and uh, and train hard and uh, because we have some uh, some in my opinion pretty good players and we uh, and we have already shown that we can uh, we can beat the best teams yeah that was uh, i think i think mostly it's the experience i have learned from uh, i have learned and you know train with the best that's uh, that's the way you you will become better. Yeah, I think you've had a lot of um, already this season with Nantes. Uh, it's been an up and down season, I think it's fair to say, but there's a lot of factors in that. But you've proven already a few times that you can beat the best, and uh, we've seen it with the the game with Kiel in particular, and also your most recent game with Nantes, which already feels like a long time ago because of the international break. But uh, but beating PSG in Paris as well, uh, which was an incredible game, and and you yourself had. Uh, a game that I mean, it, it doesn't really surprise people anymore because people come to expect this from you. I think like 15 saves or so is like your is the Emil Nielsen number at the moment. <laughs> I'm always saying uh, if, I, if I if I have less than 15 saves, it's it has not been a good game. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's like how I put it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I always notice so the, looking at the styles of goalkeepers, there are some goalkeepers that are a little bit. They're steady. They're all about positioning. They do what is uh, right every time. And then there's kind of explosive goalkeepers 
the hot streak goalkeepers. And I think I, I would definitely class you in the hot streak goalkeeper where when you s- save one, you know there's another one coming and another one coming. Do you feel that as well? Or, you know, do you feel that extra energy during those periods? Um, I play a lot on my intuition. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I can have very bad games, but I can also have very good games. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like you're right. If um, I always, you know, the first save in a match is always the most difficult for me because I have to like feel the game and um, they already scored like five or six goals. I'm not like I'm not having the confidence in myself as if I had the first save, for for example. So uh, so I agree. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, the confidence is very important for me and the hot streaks. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. You, you're probably right. I hope I hope to get a lot a lot uh, more hot streaks uh, than I have now, but uh, we'll see about that. It was interesting what you said there when uh, Chris was bringing up some of the past games you had with Skjern, or um, and you said you couldn't really remember how you played. Is that something that's quite common? Because I remember we were there was an article done with Sandra Saxon a while ago, and he was talking about how he can't actually remember sometimes the big moments in games. And it's often when he is thinking too much in a game is when he often plays badly. Do you have that similar feeling when you're playing in games? You're not really thinking. You're just kind of, as you said, feeling the game or reacting to it. Yes, yes, that's uh, that's exactly how I feel. Again, I'm I'm playing a lot of you know, a lot on my intuition, um, and um, <laughs> to be honest, I cannot I can actually, I cannot remember how we won against uh, Paris. In my head, it, it, it still it still doesn't make sense because uh, it's fucking Paris. Uh, <laughs> we, we shouldn't be able to to win against them. Um, so I don't know. Everyone played a great game against Paris, and uh, that that must be the way we won. That must give you a huge amount of well, even if you don't understand how it happened. You know it can be done, uh, and, and you're coming up against um, against Vesrum next week, and a team which I guess could be classified in that kind of uh, level of teams. Uh, you've already had a big moment against them a few years ago, and already played them uh, at the beginning of the season. Of course, in very different circumstances, maybe not as much at stake. But what do you think of the the upcoming two games with them, and what kind of areas of, of play? Um, either in goalkeeping and also in the general style of play, will, which will be important there. Well, first of all, I'm very excited for the games, uh, especially in West Point, where there can be uh, audience coming in. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been telling the guys uh, that this is not impossible; that uh, it has been done before. Um, and I think uh, think like you know, not giving up before the game starts is is the most important thing. Like believing that we can win, and and we have shown it so many times against. You no, know, we were so close to beating Barcelona. We won against Kiel. We played a draw against Kiel. We won against Kielce, and so on. So, so, so we have already shown that we can uh, that we can be the best. I think the confidence is is the most important thing for us right now. We have to believe that it can happen. Also, if we are down with five goals after twenty minutes, then it's important that we uh, that we still are going forward and uh, and just you know looking. And also for me personally, I have to. Uh, I have to save a lot of balls, and even though I come in a, in a bad period, then um, then I have to look forward and, uh, and and thinking about the next ball. And I think that's uh, that's going to be our, our mindset uh, of this game because we're not favorites. We're not favorites at all. Um, so so like in scan, we can play like a little free, 
of course, it would be a dream for everyone to go to Final Four, but uh, it's not like we're not again we're not favorites. If we lose, well, then that's expected. But we have shown it before, and uh, I believe we can do it. That that's so different to what you're experiencing in your fledgling Danish national team career, where every single game you're expected to win and in almost every single game you're the big favorites uh but do you do you have a preference in those situations as to i guess you know for a goalkeeper it's one thing but for the whole team and the the underdog mentality well i like pressure i like to pressure myself i like to have like the the pressure from outside and i have uh, on the national team we have a different kind of pressure than we have on uh, in Nantes. and uh, both ways are are good for me um I do not prefer anything over the other. So, yeah, that doesn't matter. Alex has a big question to ask you uh, at the end. <laughs> but I have one one question to ask you before that. Uh, and it's because in our last last episode, um, we had a bunch of fan questions come in. And one of them in particular from Aneta Utby asked, when are we getting Emil Nielsen on the podcast? So this is <laughs> this is especially for her as well. And we've been looking forward to it for, for a while. So I, I had her ask a question for you as well. She's a goalkeeper herself and wanted to to know about your, your preparation for games. And I, I think coinciding with what you were saying about uh, your intuition and, and getting a feel and needing that first save. What do you do in the build-up to a game to, to get yourself into that? Well, like a lot of other goalkeepers, I watch a lot of videos, but um, I think I do it in, in, a, in a different way than a lot of other goalkeepers does it because um, I can feel like very locked if, I, uh, if I'm watching too much. Uh, so like if I see on the video this Sander Sargosen will only shoot to my right side then I will have that in my head and I will only go to my right side and that's not how it should work so so for me uh, it's important to see what what are the the players capable of in my video uh, sequence um, so what are they cap- capable of can they uh, go down and uh, uh, can they can they go around the block can they uh, where where are they shooting from that's the kind of things uh, I'm I'm asking myself, and I'm not not that much looking at where they're shooting. I'm just where are they shooting and how are they doing it, and then my in- intuition will 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 do the rest. And that's how uh, how I like doing it the most because you also see uh, goalkeepers who watch like three hours of video and a drawing of where they're shooting and blah blah blah. But but that that's really not me. That's not how I I like to do it because um, I cannot I cannot uh, cope it in my head. Fascinating. So, so last question um, uh, for the end of the interview. The question is: Do you have a nickname, or have you had any nicknames growing so up? A nickname, a nickname. Uh, well, um, we have in Denmark. We have like uh, an artist who uh, is called translated. It's Emil Stable. Uh, so, like the stable Emil. Um, so uh, that's in Danish Emil Stabil so because it rhymes then, uh, and because I was playing uh, pretty good over a lot of games uh, they started calling me that novice. Um so uh, Emil Stabil that was uh, that has been uh, going on for some time I, I do like Emil Stabil but uh, we have also come up with one for you uh, which uh, let, let's see if, if you like it so have you ever heard the English term the big cheese. No. So the big cheese is a person when you go in and it's the person who like dominates the room, the person in charge. And what a very important person. 
a very important person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the way we talked about your style, the kind of hot streaks, you are the big cheese in those moments. And we have, since you're playing in France, we we have also translated to Le Gros Fromage. So, Le Gros Fromage, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That's nice. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, That's funny. Thank God. Okay, that, that's good, because we, we, we've mentioned it a few times, and people have been like, what? Because, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily sound like a compliment, but it is, in fact, very much a compliment. So if, if it has your blessing, then we're going we're gonna to push that and make it a thing. All right? It's okay, but maybe you should explain it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard about it before. So. Maybe Emil Stabil is better. I do like Emil Stabil as well. <laughs> we'll put a vote up. <laughs> yeah. Emil, that's uh, that's fantastic. It's been a, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot for your time this late in the evening, and uh, good luck tomorrow, and good luck next week as well. And hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Hopefully, perfect. Thank you, guys. And that was Emil Nielsen, and that was an absolute blast to talk to him. Really enjoyed that one. I think I can speak on behalf of Alex and Brian there as well. And while we don't need to preview uh, Nantes Vesprem much more than that, I think Emil did it brilliantly. And you know what? I think after what they did to Kielce in the last 16, I wouldn't put it past Nantes from uh, giving Vesprem a shock. But we'll talk more about that and the rest of the quarterfinals after the first leg next week until then take care of yourselves and goodbye